just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. This is the Rational Boomer Podcast. We are back, and I got to be honest, I spent the last three days out of the loop, literally off the grid. (laughs) Now, I wasn't imprisoned someplace by some Oath Keepers. In fact, my wife and I took a trip to the outer reaches of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, there was literally no cell service. Some of the restaurants and stores had... um, Wi-Fi, but it was pretty sketchy, and you really couldn't do anything as you're standing in the middle of a business. So we were basically unplugged for a few days, which was a little nerve-wracking for me because I'm so used to listening to what's going on and coming and reporting it here and on TikTok and on Clapper, and I couldn't do that for three days, and it's the first three days I've had since, I don't know, November of last year, so... It was a little weird for me, but it was certainly relaxing, take some of the stress off. It was it was nice. And we got to see some of the most beautiful country that I've seen in a long time. The Upper Peninsula of uh, Michigan is absolutely gorgeous. The scenery is incredible. We had a nice house right on the lake. I couldn't have asked for anything more. We saw some family, some friends, and uh, it was a great time. It was nice to get that break. It's also nice to get back and sleep in your own bed and have some of the privacy you're normally used to. I don't like staying with people. I did in this case because there literally was no hotels um, available. So family members have this house and uh, we stayed with them and it went fine. It was perfectly fine. It's just not the way I feel most comfortable, but it worked out well. They have some little kids, my grandniece and grandnephew. They were fun to hang out with and goof off with so that that was it was a good experience i was out of the loop but we had a good time nonetheless but now we're back and we can focus on those things (laughs) that are happening in this world and damned if it isn't a lot it's a it's always a lot and before i get to the meat of the program I, i always tell people that i'm anxious to hear from you questions comments opinions even if they're contrary to mine I encourage you to make them, and you can do that by going to rationalboomer at gmail.com if you want to email me, or you can go to anchor.fm, go to Rational Boomer, and leave me a voicemail message. And uh, a couple of days ago, I got a voicemail message, actually two voicemail messages from a gentleman who was a listener of both TikTok and uh, the podcast. So I wanted to get it out there. He had some salient points that... uh, I wanted to address. So let's do that. Let's take the uh, let's take the first question. Hey Mike, I like your content and I listen to your podcast. I listen to it at 2x. Today I tried 5x. Gets me through it quick. You got some good things to say. But even though we're like-minded, I think about 5 or 6% of the time I disagree with you. And I disagree with something on your latest podcast. You say you always believe the women in a sexual harassment, not me. If you wait a year or a year and a half and then 30 years and wait to come forward when the person is running for president or something, I'm not likely to 
believe anything you have to say. Because if a crime is committed against me, I'm not going to wait a whole year to report it or talk about it. So when people do that, I got to question the motives. All right. Thank you for that. And and I'll be perfectly honest with you. If if we only disagree five to six percent, I'll take that all day long. <laughs> if I could get my wife to agree with me 50 percent of the time, I'd be doing something. So you're five to six percent. No problem. I'll take it. Now, your comment about my comment regarding sexual harassment and sexual abuse, as you said, I said that I always believe the woman. And I understand your point about, you know, maybe some of these women being opportunistic or maybe lying about this because a certain moment in time makes it more uh, more of an opportunity for them to claim for whatever reason. And you are suggesting that you diminish or question the uh, viability of a claim that might be a year or two or five or 20 years old. I understand that. I get it. And I know that there are circumstances out there when women will come out and will make a claim that's not true just because they think they might be able to get some exposure, some power, or some money. I would suggest that's more of a rare occasion than you think. I don't think there's that many women out there that would make false claims because even if there's something for them to gain by making that claim, they still have to go through a lot of shit to do that. They're going to still have to deal a lot of things. And um, I, I just don't see that many women going to that extent. But let's go deeper into what you're suggesting. First of all, just because it might be a year from the time they made the claim to when the crime happened, or five years, or 20 years, or whatever it is. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. That doesn't mean it didn't happen at all. You know, times are different now than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Mainly because it's more accepted for women to stand up and make these claims. you got to remember, 15, 20 years ago, Women might stand up and make these claims, but nobody believed them. It got to the point where they thought, well, shit, why would I even mention it and go through all the crap I have to go through if nobody even believes me? That actually happened. Then you have to consider that the men that they are accusing may have some power over them, maybe a boss, uh, maybe some other kind of power. Their livelihoods count on their circumstances with that company, with that person. And while they'll make the claim and maybe they can sue and maybe they can make some money, that's a long time down the road. Chances are now they are going to be out of a job and they aren't going to be able to pay their bills. They aren't going to be able to feed their kids. This is something that would cause them to delay talking about this thing. If a woman is actually sexually abused, this is something that weighs heavy on her mind. To think she can go through it and just forget about it, that doesn't happen that way. It gets worse over time the longer they don't speak about it or bring it about. Maybe a year, maybe it takes a year to get the courage to actually do it. Maybe with the times the way they are now, maybe she feels more comfortable to do it. 
maybe somebody who is also abused by the same person comes out and that gives her the courage because she's got somebody else to stand with. There are many reasons for a woman not to claim it immediately and to suggest that it can't be real if it wasn't mentioned right after the crime was committed is a little short-sighted. I respect what you're saying, and to some degree you're right, but you really got to look at the bigger picture. There are many women out there, ridiculous numbers of women, who have been sexually harassed and sexually abused. Nothing was ever said about it. Nothing was ever done. No punishment was ever meted out because of it, because they were afraid to talk. Now that women are starting to talk, we need to listen. And I believe we should believe all women up front. But what we need to do is investigate the claim. Remember what I said, there was a time when people would just blow it off and not do anything about it. Up front, we must believe the women. And then we must have enough respect for the situation to actually investigate it. Now, if it's found out that the woman was lying, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. She should be punished for making a false claim. But we at least have to give them the respect, whether it happened a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, to believe what she has to say and make the effort to investigate it. That's what I'm saying here. Not saying that every woman who makes a claim is absolutely telling the truth. In my heart, I would say the vast majority are being honest. They're struggling with something that they've struggled for years. You know, you've got the claims against Brett Kavanaugh. He was a judge. He was going for the Supreme Court. You know how much courage it stands to take for you to stand up against somebody who's going to be put on the Supreme Court like the woman who stepped up did? And then still again, still again, they don't believe her. The Republicans don't believe her. Even though there are all kinds of evidence. In fact, there's going to be more evidence coming out fairly soon. And this could put Brett Kavanaugh back in the hot seat. Now, this happened when they were in college. She probably did bring it out and nobody else listened to her or she was too afraid to bring it out for whatever reason. Then he becomes a federal judge. What are you going to do? You're going to make a claim against a federal judge. But now he's going to be on the Supreme Court. Now this is pissing you off. Here's a guy that's done all the wrong things. He's going to be put on the Supreme Court and make decisions for this nation. And this woman had enough courage to stand up and say, wait, you need to know this. So in the situation with the Brett Kavanaugh complaints, they happened, what, 30 years ago. But don't you think we should know about them? 30 years ago, a woman could make a complaint in a college or or in a business, and no one would listen to her. At least now there are some ears open to listen to her, and we should listen. If she's wrong, if she's lying, then we address that situation we assume the, the, the alleged perpetrator is innocent, right? So we should at least assume the woman making the claim is being honest. Now, just because we presume the, the um, suspect innocent doesn't mean he is. And just because 
we presume the woman is telling the truth doesn't necessarily presume that she's telling the truth. That's why we go to court. That's why we investigations. Now we find out we have people from opposing sides making claims. So now we have to investigate that. So we're going to give him credit for being innocent. Then we need the women to get credit for being honest and then let the process figure out who's telling the truth. Hopefully that answers your question. All right, your next question. I got to tell you, Mike, I admire you and the people on TikTok that make TikToks and podcasts because if you only knew how many takes it took to make this voice message, you would understand how I feel about you guys. But anyway, i like to see you chime in on the minimum wage, $15 an hour, and this general strike that they have planned for October 15th. I was a Teamster truck driver, and I retired at the age of 53 and a half. And when I started my job back in September 5th, 1992, I was making 13.05 an hour, way above the minimum wage back then. And I ended up in the high 20s, plus I had the opportunity to work triple time, double time, all the per- perks of the being in a union. All right, thank you. Oh, trust me, I know what you're saying about multiple takes. I'll explain to you how I do a TikTok, and it's rarely done in one take or one thought process. In fact, it's never done that way. If I have a topic that I want to talk about, I'll try to get all the information I can as far as the facts go. Then I put it in my head. I formulate the idea, and then I do it to see if I can fit within the time constraints I have. Once I wheedle it down to the time constraints, now I'm figuring out how to produce it, if you will. You know, what what sections I'll put in, what I'll say, how I will say it. And then once I have the timing and basically what I want to say down, I'll do it. Inevitably, I'm cutting it down to the last half second and I'll miss. So then I'll need to adjust something. Then I'll do it again. And then I'll do it again. I bet you I do every TikTok probably three or four times. If I'm lucky, maybe once or twice, but three or four times. So I'm well aware of what you're going through when you're making the the comments and questions and it takes more than one tank. But don't worry about it. I'm not going to judge you on everything with your question. I'm just interested in the fact that you took the time to make the call, uh, ask the question, and have a serious interest not only in the show but uh, in the answer to your question. So thank you very much for that. Now the question itself, you're asking me about the $15 an hour minimum wage, and you were talking about something regarding a strike on October 15th. And I have to be upfront with you. I've been out of touch for a little bit. I don't even know what the October 15th strike is. I'll look into that, and I'll have something on that for you later. Uh, but in terms of the 15 dollar an hour minimum wage. Here's the deal. I absolutely believe there should be a $15 an hour minimum wage, and I think it should be higher. Now, the complaint is always that, well, if if businesses have to pay that much money, they'll go broke or they'll raise their product prices. And here's the deal. This is how the rich people have brainwashed people for decades. Oh, we give money to the rich, it's going to be good. If we give money to the poor, 
All they'll do is lay around, get lazy, and waste it. That is a fallacy. That's an absolute fallacy. And it's not very good economic strategy either. Okay, you can listen to what they said about the $15. Now it's going to hurt the business. Let's look at it from a different point of view. Now, if everybody is making at least $15 an hour, that means they're making more money than they're used to. That means they're going to be in a position to spend more money, buy more products. Now, isn't what the economy thrives on is when there's activity in the marketplace, people buying more things. So if you give more people more buying power, it makes sense that it's going to help the economy. And these people claiming to have their business hurt because they're having to pay too much for their employees will also be benefiting from more people buying their products. Don't you think that at least the bare minimum you should pay your employees is enough to buy your product? The whole concept of the $15 an hour uh, minimum wage would be ruinous to uh, businesses. That's absolutely ridiculous. It has no economic base and common sense at all. We've seen what the economy has done with the stimulus. It helped the economy considerably. You give people money and they will spend it. You give rich people money. They'll bank it or they'll put it into their company. They don't put it into the system. We do. And that's what we need to make this economy thrive. Put more money in. And this is why I've always said, you know, whether it be minimum wage or tax breaks or whatever, if you have a portfolio from what you're investing, like any of us might, like the government does, you take the money that you have coming in and put it in the least productive area, meaning money coming back to you, or the most productive area, meaning the middle class. Because the middle class overall is pouring more money into the government, causing this country to run, than the rich are. Because the rich aren't paying taxes. They're finding ways around it. Legal, but they're given the opportunity to find ways or loopholes to beat taxes. So the money is coming from the middle class. Doesn't it make sense you want to do something to perpetuate the, um, uh, the middle class so they can keep running this country? I always liken the rich getting all the money and the poor or the middle class paying all the money is this. If you have a dog and you feed him and then you feed him again and then you'll feed him again. This dog will keep eating that food until he gets sick or explodes or something. All he does is he wants more. And he's going to grab as much as he can get because you never know what dogs are thinking. But maybe they think, I'll never see any more, so I'm going to grab as much as I can get. Well, this is what the rich do in our economy. They keep grabbing and grabbing and grabbing. But what they don't think about is that there's a finite amount of money to grab. And once you've grabbed as much money as you can from the middle class and you destroy the middle class, then you essentially kill everything and everybody. 
If you've got no place to get the money or to run this country because the middle class is destroyed because you've taken everything you can out of them, everything's done. It's like the dog eating too much until they explode. That's what it is. So we have to get off this mindset that we can't give people any breaks in the middle class or even the, 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 the poor class. That's where the money has to go in order to make this economy thrive. We want as many people as we can buying things. And while companies think they're going to go broke or tell us they're going to go broke when they have to pay people 15 bucks an hour, it's not the case. It's just going to mean there's more of a market to buy their products. So yes, it could go up because the expenses go up. But when you start selling more product, then the prices go down again. It's about supply and demand. So you've got to consider that when you're talking about the $15 an hour minimum wage. But here's, here's the interesting thing about this. I've just hear, heard about it today. Because there's such a shortage of workers, now many companies are, are offering $15 an hour. They have to in order to get people to work for them. So now we're in a point where the workers now have some leverage against the employers. It used to be the employers dictated whatever they wanted and you just lived with it and liked it. Well, it's not the case anymore because there's shortages of workers. Now, whether these people want to pay $15 an hour or not, now it's starting to become that they have to in order to get anybody to work for them. Maybe people are finally saying, you know what? I've done it all these years. They've gotten away with it. I'm not going to work for this crap anymore. I'm not going to work 40 hours a week and still be broken, poor, and on welfare. See, that's the one thing you have to understand about this $15 an hour wage, minimum wage. The government or the uh, employers have to pay more, and that may hurt them financially in the short run. But when you pay people under $15 an hour and they are at poverty wage, now the government has to kick in and pay them food stamps and welfare and child care and all those sorts of things. So while it may be saving the employers on the short run, it's costing you and the government more money to help keep those people alive. There's no question it has to be $15 an hour minimum wage or higher. We've got to keep the economy moving. We've got to keep the economy thriving. And without enough people out there in a position to buy things, it will never happen. So, yeah, I'm for the $15 an hour minimum wage, and anybody with common sense should be. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll get back to some more of the national news stuff, and uh, we'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. All right, you might recall a story I told here on the podcast and on TikTok about how there's some information being revealed about things happening at the DOJ uh, in and around, well, after the election. Uh, 
you'll recall that um, you know Donald Trump was talking to the aid or the Secretary of State at Georgia, try to get him to overturn the election. He was doing the same at the Department of Justice. He was talking to any number of people, but ultimately he was talking to a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Clark, who was uh, a lower echelon lawyer at the DOJ. And uh, he convinced uh, Jeffrey Clark to write a letter to Georgia and several other states that never ended up getting out. But he was basically suggesting to Jeffrey Clark, and Jeffrey Clark was the only one stupid enough to do this, to write a letter telling Georgia that they must overturn the election as a direction, a legal direction, from the Department of Justice. Well... That's absolutely unethical, absolutely illegal, borderline treasonous. But this Jeffrey Clark thought he figured out a way where he could actually do that, and it's legitimate. So he writes the letter, and he hands it to the uh, interim attorney general, Rosen. And Rosen looks at this, and he's a smart guy, and he says, this is fucking crazy. You're not going to do that. I'm not sending that out. And so... So that basically stops that letter and also stops the letters he was going to send to Pennsylvania and Arizona and some of these other places where Trump had lost. Basically, Trump wanted the Department of Justice, where the law of the land is, to go into these states that he lost and overturn them, which we all know is fucking crazy. So Rosen turns this guy down and says, I'm not signing that letter. You're not sending it out. You're not sending out any of the other letters either. Well, needless to say, this pissed off Donald Trump. And uh, he was screaming at Rosen and uh, he was going to fire Rosen and probably put in this Jeffrey Clark as the attorney general. But when the DOJ found out about this, the uh, normal staff of the DOJ They were appalled by this and and how it was damaging our democracy and undermining everything that the United States is. There was threat of a mass resignation. I mean, tons and tons of people resigning. So when that happened, then Donald Trump was talked into backing off that. And so it never happened. That's bad enough. That's a horrible situation. That's a frightening situation for the future of this country. Well, interim attorney general. Now, you remember why he was interim attorney general. William Barr was the attorney general before him. And he was getting tired of this crazy shit. He knew it was going to hell in a handbasket, and he didn't want to be any part of it. Too late, he was already a part of it. He was part and parcel, the reason for much of this happening. So he'll have his day in court at some point. But he got out of there because he knew it was only going to get worse. So this Rosen took over as the interim AG. And, of course, he went through this whole thing I just told you about with Jeffrey Clark. Well, apparently... Interim Attorney General Rosen has been testifying in front of the Judiciary Committee for about seven hours. Needless to say, this is a situation or a circumstance concerning our U.S. government. So the Judiciary Committee uh, had him testify. 
to ask him questions for seven hours. And the people, mostly Democrat, I'll, I'll say that up front, uh, felt like this was almost shocking, the things they heard. They are even considering referring um, criminal charges to the DOJ, which is ironic because some of the charges, criminal charges that uh, they're referring are people in the DOJ, such as Jeffrey Clark. They, they acknowledge there's at least one party that has been referred for criminal charges. And the only person that could be was Jeffrey Clark, because he's the one that wrote this stupid letter. So it's going to be interesting to find out. Many lawyers don't like the idea of Rosen testifying in front of other entities before he talks to the DOJ. They think it might hurt what the DOJ is going to do. But here's my problem with the DOJ. Yes, we have Merrick Garland in now. Much better than Rosen, much better than William Barr. He's a Democrat. He's tied to Biden. He's a solid, straight-laced, straight-shooting guy. But we have people in that DOJ currently that were part of the criminality that was going on under the Trump administration. Those people need to be addressed I mean, Merrick Garland is basically walking into his office every day, and it's a crime scene. There are people that have done criminal things. So what does Merrick Garland do? I don't know. Does he call these people out? Does he charge them or indict them or put them on trial? Or does he try to protect the organization he's now leading? It's a tough situation for him. But if we hope to keep people honest, make people accountable, whether they work for the DOJ or not, they need to be indicted. They need to be put on trial if they did something criminal. Now, I hope against hope that Merrick Garland sees it that way. I question some of the things he's done because he's been a little too easy in some of the Trump things. You know, he's a Biden appointee. He's appalled by what's going on. He's uh, truly patriotic and truly an honest guy. But he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He wants to run this organization strictly and honestly. But he's got people within that organization that need to be addressed. So I'm waiting to find out if that's going to happen. Now, he may be pressured into it when they have the likes of uh, A.G. Rosen being uh, in front of uh, the Judiciary Committee and being questioned for seven hours and, and um, revealing criminal activities of people within the DOJ. Maybe then Merrick Garland doesn't have a choice but to do something about it. But it's a tight situation. And the information that's coming out is appalling. This is things like we've never heard before in this country. It is criminal. It may be even treasonous. And that is a bad situation. I mean, we've talked about this before. With that going on in the DOJ, with the attorney general working as a personal attack dog for the president, this was undermining our democracy and risked our democracy more than we've seen in all of history. So we can't let that go. If one person sees that it can be done and they can get away with it, eventually somebody else will do it. So if there isn't a price to pay, 
then we've got problems. Now, some of these people will say, well, let's let the court be elections. No. No, none of us get that option. No one's above the law. If they committed a crime, and yes, maybe it embarrasses the DOJ too goddamn bad, it needs to be exposed, they need to be tried, and they need to be punished. That's the only way we can stop future people doing the same thing. And I hope that's the the resolution they come to. Because if they just try to cover it up and expose the information but let them go, I'm going to be disappointed. And I'm going to have problems with the Biden administration and Merrick Garland. Under no circumstances, after all the criminality and all the problems we've seen, if they let this go and let it slide, they're just as bad as the people who committed the crime, as far as I'm concerned. I don't belong to a political party, Democrats or Republicans. I want to see what's done. What's done is done right. There's justice prevails and the people of this country are served. I don't care who does it, but if there's anybody who doesn't do it, regardless of party, I have a problem with them. So it's going to be interesting to see what occurs in that circumstances. Um, The A.G. Rosen testimony wasn't on TV, but I presume the the notes from that trial the uh, or not trial the, the the investigation the transcripts will be released the news will pick up on it and we'll see at least bits and pieces the most important biz, bits and pieces come out and we'll be able to hear what was said and that's the most important thing first and foremost we have to let the public know what's going on we have to know what actually happened throughout the whole Trump administration. It was about hiding information, lying to us and saying, oh, that never happened. That no, never happened. We as a public need to know what happens, because if what you're telling us is that the best way to punish these people or the best way to try these people is through election through an election well then you need to fucking tell us everything we need to know everything in order to make an informed choice when it comes to electing whoever we elect so you got to have it one or two ways either you take to them you indict them try them and punish them or you give us all the information and let us do the trial in the election I would hope you take the first, because that's the real and best way to do that. But we'll see what happens. We'll definitely see what happens. Now, since coming back from my little trip, one of the most disconcerting things I'm hearing, some of the facts around this COVID situation. You know, we went through the whole process, the mass, the shutdowns, all the problems, the death and destruction from COVID. Then we get the vaccine and things start to settle down, starts to get better. But then we have the Delta variant. This is much stronger, easier to catch, affecting more types of people. Now, at this point, we're getting 100,000 COVID cases a day, a day in this country. Now, keep in mind, more than half the people are vaccinated. So this is largely unvaccinated people. People have chosen not to be vaccinated for whatever reason. We've got 100,000 cases a day. Now maybe we start having to wear masks again. Maybe we start dealing with close 
downs. Maybe we start having businesses in trouble again and people not being able to make money. Not because we don't have the answer, because a faction of people in this country refuse to accept that answer and decide to ignore it. Well, things are changing out there a little bit now, and some of the people that are anti-vaxxers are getting some reality in their life. The two states that are worse for COVID are Texas and Florida. These two states account for 30% of the COVID cases in this country. Imagine that. And, of course, we've got Ron DeSantis fighting schools, mandating masks, and talking about the COVID as a hoax, and talking about how the vaccine is horrible. We've got Gregory Abbott in Texas doing much the same thing. In fact, Ron DeSantis just said something recently that... um, If school districts decide to mandate masks for children in schools, he might hold back the pay of administrators. Meaning if an administrator says we're going to mandate the mask regardless, then he's going to hold back their pay. And why why would you do this? I mean, clearly in Florida, we've got uh, COVID raging. Putting on a mask is a very simple thing, but they want to fight against it because it'll take away our civil rights. Well, the fact that some of these anti-vaxxers don't get the vaccination and we're getting limitations now against our liberty and our rights, and you're doing it, not, not us. So we've got Florida in a situation where they've got some real problems. In fact, I just heard a story that I thought was interesting. There is a church in Florida, and somehow, some way, this church has six congregants, six of them, that contracted COVID and died. And they're saying the only thing they have in common is that they were all unvaccinated. We know how religion has dealt with this vaccination thing. We know how they've dealt with Donald Trump, how they support Donald Trump, uh, the religious right, uh, evangelicals, whoever, whatever you want to call them. But now that six congregants died in this church, now they're starting to drive to get everybody in the church vaccinated. Yeah, a little too little too late. You already lost six congregants. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm thinking this church is thinking, oh, that's six people that won't give us offerings and we'll lose money if they all die. They don't give a shit about these people's lives or their health. I mean, because even if you don't die, if you get COVID, you could get some of this long-term COVID thing. Maybe it's something that sticks with you for the rest of your life. So you don't die, but you never get better. But now they're starting to drive. They're saying, okay, we're going to get everybody vaccinated. Same people who said, oh, don't get the vaccination. It's bad for you. They'll put a microchip in you. Now they're getting scared. And with as many people as getting COVID right now, you're going to see more of these anti-vaxxers getting scared and doing something. Now, People have said to me, well, what do you care? The anti-vaxxers don't get it. They get sick and die. Who cares? Well, it's not just that. You see, 
they have a right to not get the vaccination, but unfortunately, they can get other people who don't have the uh, vaccination infected. And those people happen to be children under 12. The vaccine isn't available to them as yet. And because it's not available to them, they're at risk. You know, they have mom and dads that may be anti-vaxxers. And now they get it, and then they give it to their kids. Here's the interesting figure about Texas. Texas just announced that there are 6,000 children in their state with COVID. They have COVID-19 or the Delta variant. And there are kids very sick because of this Delta variant. It's now affecting kids. It was once believed it didn't affect them. It is most certainly affecting them now. But here's the interesting point. They're announcing that 6,000 kids have the Delta variant or COVID-19, and that's up from 3,000 kids sick just last week. In one week, 3,000 COVID uh, infections, and it doubled in children. Now, that's not enough to get you to think. That's not enough to get somebody like uh, Greg Abbott or Ron DeSantis to think, hey, maybe we better protect those kids. But instead, they're more concerned about this ideology, this Trump ideology, the base ideology that everything about the vaccine is wrong. Everything about the COVID is a hoax. So if we ignore it, then we won't be taken in by the man. But now you got people around you dying. And I'll just I'll, I, I just have to say this is that if you are starting to see, if you're an anti-vaxxer, And you are starting to see situations where they're demanding that you wear a mask or you're seeing businesses closing down, people being kicked out of jobs, struggling financially. When you see people around you dying, now that's, I I meant to say when, not if, when you see people around you dying, you know who to blame. Now, just during the regular COVID, I had probably six people around me that died, people I knew, people who were friends of mine or relatives. They died from COVID. I was fortunate not to get COVID. I was careful. I got the vaccine when it was available, and I didn't get it. And maybe you get that lucky even if you don't get vaccinated. But I guarantee you, that somebody around you is going to get it and some people around you are going to die and then maybe, just maybe, a light bulb goes off in your fucking head and you realize, oh, maybe I made the wrong choice here. Like those people down in the church that weren't vaccinated, they had to wait till six people died and then they said, oh my God, maybe maybe we should do something about this. That's what's going to happen in this country. We're going to have a lot of people having a light bulb go off above their head. And now their life is going to be at risk. Their friends' and family's lives are going to be at risk. And it's appalling that it's taking people dying for those lights to go off. Now, granted, there'll still be some people who refuse and will refuse and refuse till they get sick and die themselves. You just can't help stupid. You can't save them from themselves. They have an opportunity 
but they don't take it. But again, who's who's at fault for this situation? Well, largely Republicans, people like Donald Trump, people like Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, people like Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, Ron Johnson, that idiot from Wisconsin, Rand Paul. It's funny, Rand Paul screaming about the vaccination. I just saw a picture today of him getting his vaccination. All these people telling you how bad the vaccination is all have gotten it. They don't care about you. They don't care about if you get sick. All they care about is if they get reelected. So your life is at risk because of those clowns, those idiots. And if you're willing to put your life in the hands of those idiots, those selfish pieces of shit, well, unfortunately, you get what you deserve. But you better not infect innocent kids in the process. That's where it becomes almost criminal. But through this all, you still have one saving grace. You still have one saving grace. You can fix it for yourself and the people around you by doing one simple thing, and that's fucking getting vaccinated. Use your head. Look around you. See what's happening. Make a good choice. Use some critical thinking and actually get vaccinated. Jesus, I don't, I don't believe I have to tell people this. I don't believe anybody has to tell people this, but apparently we do. Well, we're running out of time here on the Rational Boomer podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I truly do. And uh, I hope you'll join me again. I'll be back on in a day or two with another podcast. If not there, you can check me out on TikTok at Rational Boomer or Clapper on Rational Boomer or Instagram on Rational Boomer. I'm pretty much everywhere. If you can't find me, you ain't trying. (laughs) So you have a good day or two, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.